Well, good morning, everybody. For those of you I do not know, my name is Mike. It's an honor to welcome you here to North Star for this Sunday where we're talking about such an incredible, incredible challenge that Jesus left for. So I want you to go ahead and do me a favor. Take your Bible, if you've got it this morning, turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew 28 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, you've got it on a smartphone, you got it on your iPad, or you can read along with us. We are going to be in Matthew 28. We're going to take two passages of Scripture that Jesus left for us that I think we need to get. Well, I hope you've all had a great week. I know school cranked back up. Everybody's getting used to their new schedules and things going on. I know it's football season because I show up in a red shirt and somebody says, go dogs. All right, listen, they don't own red. They just own the G, all right? And so, but I know everybody's getting a little anxious. Well, I want you to do me a favor. Um, I want you to go back with me a little bit. So we have this thing called the Bible, that you hold in your hands or you're going to read with us online. We know that 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and he put skin on and he came to earth and he became a man over the course of 30 years. At the age of 30, they gathered on a mountainside and Jesus gives us what's called the Sermon on the Mount, the first ever recorded words where Jesus began to teach. In fact, we looked last week at the tail end of that conversation as he talked about the foundation we build our lives on. Three years later, we know that on a Friday, Jesus was hung on a cross. He was what we call crucified. He died not for his sins, he died for our sins that Friday on the cross. That Friday night, he was laid into a tomb. Joseph of Arimathea, one of the religious leaders of the day, had donated his tomb, and they put Jesus in that tomb, and they took a big stone, and they rolled that stone in front of the tomb. All hope was gone for the disciples. All hope was gone for all of his followers, those 11 that were his disciples sort of dispersed over the next few days and, and things didn't look good. But we know that on Sunday morning, some ladies went early in the morning to put some oils on his body or some, uh, some ointments on his body for this embalming that they would do. And so they went that Sunday morning to put these spices on his body. But when they got there, the stone had been rolled away. And we know that over the next 40 days, Jesus not only appeared to his disciples, but Jesus appeared to over 500 people were eyewitnesses to a man who had died on a Friday and is now getting up and walking around. And we call that the resurrection. It's what we call it. And for those 40 days, he appeared to various people. But at the end of the 40 days, he was going to ascend back to heaven. The last conversation he had with his disciples before he left is what we're going to read about that today. It's the final words before he left of what not only they needed to know, but you and I needed to know about who he is and why he came and what the charge is he left for us. So because of the power of these words and because I want us to think about them a little bit differently, would you stand with me today in honor of reading this word? 
We all love to see a good locker room speech before a team goes out to a game. It has nothing on what Jesus had to say this day. Nothing. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. I'm going to read along on the screen because there's a couple points I'm going to pause. I want you to listen to what Jesus told his followers that day. Therefore, go and make what? Disciples. It wasn't a charge for just them. It's a charge for us. I want you to action, go and make disciples. There are 11 of you. Judas is gone. There's 11 of them left. I want you to go. It's not about you knowing. It's about taking what you know and taking it to people who don't know. Therefore, go and make disciples. What does disciple mean? It means I want you to go and imitate me. Follow me. Reproduce people who look like me of all nations. Why do we have somebody on our staff that does missions in India and Guatemala and Haiti and we do things all over the world? Why do we do that? Because Jesus said it is incumbent on all of us to take what we know and to get it out. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And look what he says next. And teaching them to obey. What's this word? So once they know, teach them out of this book you're going to have. They didn't have the New Testament then. And the Old Testament was just some scrolls. I want you to take that and I want you to spend the rest of your life helping them obey everything that I have left for you. I want you to take it and I want you to eat it up. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. It's funny, Luke tells us about the coming of the Messiah. He called it Emmanuel, God with us, which means God with skin on. He came and pitched a tent here, John tells us. Well, Jesus makes the same promise to his disciples, and he said, listen, I'm not leaving you. I'm going away, but I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit for you. There'll never be a day you're ever going to live in your life. I'm not here with you. I'm going to be with you even till the very end of the age. I'm telling you, man, if you'd have been that day on that mountainside and heard these words, I bet they thought about these words a thousand times. I bet these disciples went, man, you remember that day? Do you remember that day that Jesus told us this? Because we know this, those 11, those 11 all gave up their lives for the story. Those 11 all said, I'm willing to die for this resurrected Messiah. And the power that was packed in those words that they heard, have you ever heard something that just quickens your heart and gets you amped up and raced up a little bit? That's what happened that day, and I pray it's what happens this day. Would you pray with me right where you're at? Would you just take a second and ask God to speak to you, would you? Just say, God, would you speak to me today? about what I need to do to be that disciple. Would you pray that? God, my prayer today is this, is that we meet with you. And God, when we meet with you, we make the decision of what we need to do next because there's always somewhere we're going next. 
Father, I pray that when we walk out these doors, we'll be a little quicker in our step than when we walked in. And God, we will find and discover what it is you have for us. And God, that is my prayer, and I pray this now. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you're seated, turn around and introduce yourself to somebody around you. Welcome them this morning, and we will get going. Right. You can be seated. It is so good to look out and see you guys in Compass, True North, out on the patio, and all of you watching online. I just left the room where our high school students are, right out here in the theater. So if you're a high school student in the crowd today, man, next Sunday, join them in the theater. It's packed in there. And it was so exciting. It's such a great day here at North Star. Uh, it's a fun time of year. Um, you know, today as we were reading this passage, I was thinking back to the beginning of the journey for us. How, how many of you guys are parents in the room? Raise your hand if you're a parent. Okay, great. A lot of you. Um, I remember Ann and I finding out we were going to have a child and he was born in 1990, Casey was born in 1994. And I remember, of course, she signs us up because if you're going to have a baby, you got to go to Lamaze class. I don't know if y'all have ever been to Lamaze class. All right, we'll talk. All right, and so anyway, so we did this. And I was not a favorite of the Lamaze teacher. Evidently, she did not like people who had things to offer in the, in the time that they were in there. She didn't like other people talking, which I have a tendency to chat a little too much, evidently. And so I got a lot of, you know how... Somebody's speaking and you're whispering to somebody and then you don't notice they've stopped speaking. That's bad when you're in your 20s, all right? And so I'm sitting there whispering to Ann and we're laughing about something and she would wait until I stopped talking and then I'm like, are you gonna call my mother? All right, and so it was that kind of feeling and so we're in Lamaze class and I remember it was my favorite story from that time. I've told it one other time here, but it was, uh, Casey was born in, in April, so it was late March, early April, 1994. At that time, if you're from Cobb County, Kennestone was basically one building, and then they had an outbuilding called the B Building. It was an older building, and that's where they taught these classes. And so it was one of those spring, killing it, thunderstorms. I mean, raining buckets and sheets, lightning dropping to the ground, thunder. I'm begging in. It's our last class. I'm begging in. Please, do we have to go? No, we have to go. We might miss something. And so I'm like, okay. So we drive through the storm. to I mean, it is raining terribly. And so I got in as close to the building as I could get her to get out and stay as dry as she could. She was what scripture would say, grave with child, all right? And so she, she was quite pregnant at this point. And so she gets in the building and, and I go and park over in the park. There's really not a deck. I go park in the parking lot and I don't have an umbrella and I go running and I am drenched from head to toe. And so I get in the room and I had a good buddy I'd made a friend in there. And so I got in there and all the ladies, they were all grave with children. And so all we're gonna deliver here soon. And so they're in there and they're wet but the husbands are soaked. And I look across the room, and there is a guy sitting there, and he is dry as a bone. I mean, he didn't have a stitch of rain on him. And I, I'm thinking, there is no way I would have come to this without an end. There's no way. So this guy's a better man than me. So I said, was your wife not able to make it tonight? His next words, no, she's parking the car. And Ann is hitting me with her elbow like, leave it alone and don't say anything. But I had to dig a little further and I went, park in the car. 
He goes, I thought he was kidding. I went, you're kidding. He goes, no, 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 I'm terribly afraid of thunder and lightning. I leaned over to Ann and said, you're lucky to have me. All right, you're lucky to have me. I'm a man. You're lucky to have me. But anyways, it's a funny story. If you're in here and that was you, I'm sorry, but that was funny. I apologize if it was you. Anyways, so moving on now. Um, so you, April 27th, 1994, we take our little boy home from the hospital. We have him on 27th, 28th, 29th. We take him home from the hospital. And you've had the classes. and You've read the books. And you're terrified. You don't know what to do. I remember strapping him in the car, duct tape, glue, that car seat ain't moving, and you get him in that back seat. And I remember driving home at like five miles an hour. I mean, we're just putzing through town. We're down off Bells Ferry Road, and we're just going as slow as we could. We don't want to hit a bump, didn't go through any drive-throughs. We went straight home. We get him out of the car, and I remember laying him down at home that first night thinking, what are we going to do? And about that time, her parents showed up, and they're like, we don't want to be in the way. I'm like, no, please don't leave. All right, and so they stay there, and it's awesome, and then they begin to grow, and then the next big phase every parent begins to talk about is when they take their first what? Steps. So, of course, you have friends that had babies at the same time. How's it going? And now it's the bragging time. Oh, listen, my kid went and ran the peach tree this summer. I mean, it's amazing. They strapped up their shoes. It was unbelievable. They tied their own shoes at six months. And so, and you're like, mine ain't even rolling over yet. I mean, what's going on? Casey was a little chunky. I, I have to be honest. He was a little, I have to have bring a picture, but he's a, he's a tad on the heavy side. But anyway, so finally, I remember, and go, I think he's going to walk. I remember seeing him walk for the first time. It's, it's what it's all about. You love it. Mary Michael. I remember watching her walk. It's all about taking steps. Well, spiritually, same thing. God did not create us just to be born. He created us to take steps spiritually. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he laid out the pathway to becoming a disciple. Now, here's the beauty of this. Sitting in the sound of my voice and compass and true north and watching on the patio and a ton of you that are watching online, this is all new to you. And you're like, does it apply to me? Oh, yeah. But some of you are sitting in the room and, man, you know more about the Bible than I do. You have doctorate degrees in it. You know more about it than I do. We are never at a phase in life we are not taking a step for the Lord. What are those steps to becoming a disciple. Now, here's what I want you to write. There's a little phrase, the making of a disciple. Beside disciple, I want you to write two words. Ready? Here are the two words. Imitator, follower. Those are your two words. Imitator, follower. When you read the word disciple, what he's saying is, I want you to become little me's. In fact, the phrase that was used back during that time with rabbis was following the dust of the rabbi, meaning you want the dust of the rabbi who's walking in front of you. You want his dust on you because you are walking so closely. Whatever he says, you say. Wherever he goes, you go. Whatever he does, you do. That's what a disciple did. They're imitators and followers. That's what a disciple is. So the making of a disciple is this process. Number one, ready? Be born. Be born. It's an imitator. So if I'm going to imitate, there's got to be being born. Out beside that, I want you to write spiritual birth. It's a spiritual birth. It's where we all begin. I was physically born February the 24th, 1969. 
South Fulton Hospital in Atlanta, Georgia. I was spiritually born April the 1st, 1983 at a church service in Fayetteville, Georgia. I remember the night like it was yesterday. It was Easter Sunday, 1983, and I remember that was the night that I made that step spiritually for me. We all begin with a spiritual birth. That's how we become a disciple, right? That's how it begins. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 5. These were the words of Jesus when he was explaining this. He said, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Meaning this, pause here. Meaning to, to know me, to honor the Father, you gotta honor me. So whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. You, he was talking to the religious leaders. You can't say you love God and not follow me. That's what he was saying. Follow the God who sent him. Keep rolling. And this is where he gets into it. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and, y'all help me out real quick. What's this word? And does what? believes him. So all of a sudden, there's a point in life where we make a step of belief, which is a step of faith. Whoever believes him who sent me, they have eternal life, and they will not be condemned. Mike, you're telling me that the point of salvation is a step of obedience, of asking Jesus into your heart? Yes, but that's not where it ends, but that's where it begins. It's where it begins for all of us. And it may have happened for you in a church service. Two months ago, we had a service. Over 60 people, I remember, raised their hand and said, I want to follow Christ. That is a person saying, I want to move from death to life. Because look at how he says this. Who has sent me has eternal life, will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Before he was separated from God, and because of this step of obedience, he is now has a home in heaven. It's crazy. Well, Mike, I don't think it should work that way, but that's not my idea of how it works. That's his idea of how it works, all right? But I know this. To begin the process of being a disciple, you have to be born spiritually. For some of you, it was in a service at North Star. For others of you, it happened 30 years ago in Ohio. For others of you, it happened at a summer camp when you were growing up at Vacation Bible School or on the porch with your parents. It, it could begin anywhere, but that is the process. We are all born spiritually, meaning this. If you're in the sound of my voice this morning and you go, Mike, I have never done that, then the rest of this is, is Greek. It, it won't make any sense. But if you have, then all of this begins to make sense. All of this. And man, I remember sitting there in 1983 in that service going, I know I haven't done that. And some of you today, that today's going to be your day. You're going to step from death to life. But it doesn't stop at being born. To be a disciple, it doesn't stop at the first step. Number two, be baptized. Be baptized. Right out beside that, I want you to write first step. The first step of obedience after salvation is baptism. Meaning this, right? Why am I baptized? I am baptized to show what Jesus did for me. I am baptized. I want you to write down two little phrases. Ready? Public declaration, public celebration. That's what baptism means. It's a public declaration. It's saying to friends and to family, I know Jesus and I follow Jesus. I believe in every time we baptize, we say this, 
He lived for you, he died for you, and he rose again just for you. That's what baptism represents. It represents the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's what baptism represents. That's why we say that every time we do it. So for people at North Star and people all across the world in churches, their first step of obedience is baptism. Now, time out. Can I be saved and not be baptized? Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. But why would you want to be? Why would you not want to wear the uniform of the one who lived and died for you? We call it putting on Christ's uniform. It, it's, it's our way to show. So for some of us, man, we were, we were those people this past year at North Star. We raised our hand. We accepted Christ. It may have happened three years ago. And we've never publicly said, I'm a follower of Jesus baptism is how we do that. We don't come down front. We don't stand in a line down front and introduce people to you. We do it through baptism. So next Sunday night at the lake, we're going to have tons of people, usually between 70 and 100 people, that are going to say, I'm a follower of Jesus. And you know who's going to, they're going to invite? They're going to invite their friends and their neighbors. They're going to invite their teammates. And they're going to say, I want you to come because I want, you, I want you to know that I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what baptism represents. That's why we wear that uniform. Here's a little phrase Steve Roach came up with this weekend. It was really interesting. He said, not everyone who wears the uniforms on the team, but everybody on the team wears the uniform. Some people wear the uniform, but they're not on the team. They've been baptized, but they've never given their heart to Christ. They just got wet. All right, and so it, it's nothing more than just getting wet because it's a representative. It's not the water. It's the representation of what it represents. Not everyone, on the, not everyone who wears the uniforms on the team, but everybody on the team wears the uniform. A couple of weeks we'll be down at the Falcons game and all in the bleachers at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium are gonna be thousands of Matt Ryan jerseys and Julio Jones jerseys. But there's only two of them that count, the two on the field. I pray that the guy in section 343 with the Matt Ryan's not quarterbacking for us, all right? And so they just got the jersey, but it doesn't mean they're on the team. But everybody on the team wears the, wears the uniform. So for some of us today, next week's our time to declare publicly a decision we've made privately. So when everybody to look, you got this card on the way in. Everybody see this card? Maybe today, today's your day to go. I need to take that step of obedience and be baptized. So in a few minutes, I'm gonna tell you what to do with this card. Every year, I'm telling you, every year from 70-year-olds to seven years old. North Star's the only church I've ever been to where we baptize more adults than children. It's the craziest thing. Because it's never too late to start doing what's right. Baptism's not for me, it's for you. It's that step, I'm fine. It's for you. I remember a couple years ago, I got a call from a good buddy, and he said, my wife and I just led a young lady to Christ. This was in the early, early days of North Star. We just led a young lady to Christ, and she wants to get baptized. But rather than just come into a really big one, she wants to do a private one, but invite 30 of her closest friends that don't know Jesus. Would that be okay? Uh, yeah, that would be fine. All right. And so I remember meeting at a guy's house at night that had a pool. And I remember watching this young lady be baptized. And we told her story. I'm telling you, it was one of the greatest events I've ever been to. And there's 30 people there. But it was a public declaration of a decision she had made inwardly. Some of you were 
sprinkled or confirmed when you were kids and, and you got saved in your 20s, who Jesus was made sense. A lot of people, that's for you, that you go, man, I want to get baptized after Scripture teaches, after salvation. We are born and we are baptized. Well, that's it then. I think I, think I got it licked. Not done in there. Look at step three to come in to be a disciple. We become like Jesus. We become like Jesus. Two words I want you to write out beside that. Ready? Listen and obey. Listen and obey. Teaching them, Jesus said, to obey everything I've commanded you. I want everybody to look at me, and I don't want you to miss this. And I, and I want this to be incredibly clear. I want to be a mature, devoted Christ follower. That's what I want to be. Do you know what I found over these 34 years that I've been following Christ? It's not the complex things that make you mature. It's being obedient in the simple things that make you mature. I get up and I read my Bible every morning. Do I do that so God will love me more? No, I do that so I'll love him more. Does that make sense to everybody? You don't read the Bible so God goes, boy, I like Mike better today. He sure has been a good boy. All right, God loves you as much today as he's ever gonna love you. You get up and you do the simple things so I can learn to love him more. I give. We, talked, we just did a generosity series. I give. Why do I give? Do I give so God will be happier? No, I give to remind myself it's not mine. It's those simple things that lead us to maturity, not complex things. I had a good buddy, and somebody came to him one day and said, your teaching's not deep enough. He said, when I master loving my neighbor as myself, I'll move on to something deeper. God's desire for us in our lives. We are born, we are baptized, everybody look at me, and then we take another step. Maybe it's getting in a group. Maybe it's sharing our faith. Maybe it's giving. Maybe it's reading the Bible for the very first time. Whatever it is, we take that step. Then we take another step. Can I tell you something? If you live to be 115 years old, you'll still be figuring out who Jesus is and listening and obeying daily. Does that make sense to everybody? You never reach a point where you've made it. You never reach a point where you go, well, I got that thing whipped. I've got that figured out. I don't have it figured out. You're not going to have it figured out either. In fact, here's what you're going to learn. The more you learn about God, the more you don't know about God. The more you think you know, the less you know. And that's the journey. That's why we have small groups. That's why we do Bible study. Tonight at my house, I'll have 24 people at my house in Bible study tonight. Why do we do that? Because, because we're all listening and obeying and we're doing it together. We are born... We are baptized. We become like Jesus, imitator, follower. And number four, and then we bring others to Jesus. We bring others to Jesus. Northstar, we would say, we help other people find their way home. He did not reach you for you to know and keep it to yourself. You came to know Christ so somebody that you know that doesn't know can have the opportunity. 
I remember those early days of North Star, and I remember we were, we were so hungry because our passion was to have people who didn't go to church anywhere meet Jesus. But the older you get and the longer you're around, it's like, well, they'll come next Sunday or maybe one day they'll visit. And you lose that urgency. I remember how many little dinners that people would put on in their neighborhoods. And they would invite Ike and I, our pastor at that time, Ike and I to dinner and tell about the church. And we watched people getting saved in little clubhouses and neighborhoods. I remember back during that time, people would make cookies because we didn't have anybody going to church yet. And so people would make cookies when somebody new moved in their neighborhood. And they would put little cards on there inviting them to be their guest at church which is awesome, unless your cookies are bad, then send them to another church, all right? And so, but they would invite them to come to church with them. And people talked about it at school. Friends bought their ball player friends. People brought people sitting beside them in classes or in the office. And it was just this contagious, crazy deal. Why? Because people were urgent to bring others to Jesus. I want you to think about this. When Jesus had this conversation on the hill that day, there was less than 150 people who would be declared followers of Jesus. It wasn't a big movement. There were 11 that were intimately involved, his disciples, and they had some friends, the Marys, and some of the friends, the, the fringe around it, but there were 11. How in the heck did we get here? I want everybody to look at me. Because somebody loved you enough to tell you. You've got somebody that you sit beside at work, neighbors beside, they don't know. And if you go, Mike, I don't know what to tell them. Invest them in and just invite them to come with you. I pray over this next year of 2017, 2018, that there's not a Sunday that I haven't invited somebody to church that doesn't go to church. And I pray the same for you. Well, Mike, what are we going to do? It's already packed. What will we do with them? How many of you would willingly give up your seat for somebody who doesn't know the Lord to sit there? Raise your hand. If you didn't raise your hand, that's not the right answer. All right, the answer is yeah, absolutely. We all would. Man, I'd, I'd stay here till 4 o'clock in the afternoon to preach. Because I believe we live in a world that needs Jesus more now than, he's ever, than it's ever been needed. Would you all agree with that? Have you all watched the news lately? Things aren't getting better. Have you all noticed that? Things are crazy. You know why this is a big deal? I think heaven's a real place. One thing I've learned is personally over the past few months, I've never been more intimately acquainted with heaven because two people that I love just arrived there. And I got a little of my heart there. But I also believe if heaven's a real place, I believe that being separated from God's real too. Why is it called hell? It's called hell because it's hell to be separated from God. There's an urgency, ladies and gentlemen. This isn't a game. We don't have forever. There's not unlimited time on the clock. It's urgent that we help bring people to Jesus, not so we can make God happy, because to live without Jesus, man, that's the worst thing in the world. So he gives us two things. He gives me a purpose Go there for and make disciples. That's all of our purpose. Now that I know Jesus, that is my purpose every day when I get out of bed. But he gives me power. I am with you always. And leave us alone. You know what I love about this? What I love about this 
We've never arrived. We never arrive. We never arrive spiritually. Back in the day at North Star, we had a we had a gentleman that I used to use all the time that Steve Roach and I were good friends with. His name was Preacher Jet. How many of y'all remember when we'd use Preacher Jet videos back in the day? A few of you guys around. Oh, these were so good. Preacher Jet was 99 years old. I remember going to his little apartment over in Palmetto and he'd have his Bible open. This is what he'd say to me. This guy had been preaching for years. He'd say, Mike, you ain't gonna believe this. He said, that word he gave me this morning is more fresh than the word he gave me 50 years ago. We were leaving here. We filmed a video one night for like five hours. We filmed this video. Preacher Jet was 98. I was driving him home at 9 o'clock at night. It was past my bedtime. And I'm driving him home to Palmetto. And I remember and I said, Preacher Jet, why do you still do this? And this is what he said. He tapped on my old dash and... He said, son, it burns in my bones for people to know who Jesus is. If he feels that way at 98, how in the world when I'm 30 do I think I have it figured out? You ain't got it figured out. You're just in the journey to getting there. Can I ask you a question today? Where are you? Have you been spiritually born? Maybe for some of you, you've never made that step spiritually to be born. Today's your day. Maybe today, this is for you. You've done it, but you've never declared it. Today's your day. Maybe today it's the simple acts of obedience, beginning to serve here at North Star. Going, you know what? Put me where you need me. I'm all in, man. I just want to help people find their way home. Wherever you are, what's the next step is the most important step. For you. Would you pray with me? Maybe you're in here today and you say, Mike, I have never been born again. I've never been spiritually born, but I, I want to. Can I lead you in a prayer? It's a prayer I prayed when I was 14. It's not a magic, not a magic prayer. It really is your heart, as Jesus said in John 5, saying, I believe. It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, would you pray that? Dear Lord Jesus, I need you. Did you pray that? I believe you lived for me. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose again just for me. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my personal Lord and Savior. Jesus, live in me. Today, if you prayed that prayer, that little baptism card, you can write your name on there and you can write on the top of it, saved, saved. And I can get you to turn it in here in a second. We'd love to tell you what's next. Man, for some of you, God's tapping you on the shoulder going, man, that's you. Man, you slipped your hand up in that service and nobody knows. Declare it publicly next week. That's your next step. Filling out that card. Maybe for some of you, it's beginning to serve, getting in a small group. Whatever it is, would you say, God, I want to take my next step towards you. And I want to be the person you created me to be. God, we love you. God, may we be people who are your disciples, imitators, and followers of you. And that is my prayer. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.